0: Bethlehem, dark, quiet, a resting town, once bustling, now still, an innkeeper stable, once calm, now astir, the tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Their tired hearts, burdened by sin, pining for a good king need not wait any longer. Behind joyful eyes, a group of shepherds observe the prodigy before them. They behold the confirmation of the angelic news. Still shook by their encounter with the multitude of heavenly hosts. Thrilled by the realization that earth this very night has received her king. Like a lens focusing onto its subject, creation can fix its sights on Jesus, the one true source of genuine joy. Like the shepherds, we can respond with haste, praising and glorifying God. We rejoice in the past miracle of His coming, the current reality of His preeminence, and the future promise of His return. Even in times of desperation, grief, or uncertainty, Jesus is our unwavering joy. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, may our hearts Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift himself, Jesus. Just as the light of his birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, his light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world.
1: Cool. What's up, y'all? How you guys in tonight? Cool, cool. Ah, guys, it is. Um, it is so wonderful to be in the middle of a Christmas series. I love this. So, with that, Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas. Perfect. Perfect. Good. I'm going to probably say Merry Christmas a lot because um, some of you who are here at the the Christmas Eve service last year, I could not help but say the words um, uh, Happy New Year's. I said it, I think, three times. And as I kept focusing, I'm glad you guys remember that for those that were there. Great great company. So I will probably overstate the phrase, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, on the hopes that by Christmas Eve, I won't say the other thing that is irrelevant to um, what we're up to here. So, um, so, so Merry Christmas, and let's get into joy tonight. Now, we humans gravitate towards the, towards the dramatic, towards things of tension, right? I mean, just think about it. Uh, You've never seen a show or a movie or read a book that doesn't have some version of tension in it right? Uh, and even, even like the most low stakes TV show ever created, the Great British Baking Show. You guys familiar with it? Yeah. Yep. Netflix. All right. Like the lowest stakes show that has ever existed in competition anything. I mean, that show, if you've never watched it, please do. It's the most like peaceful thing you've ever watched on Netflix. Uh, it is literally a baking competition where the most difficult thing that can go wrong is a souffle doesn't cook long enough. I don't bake. So I know nothing about these things. Some of you are really good bakers. So there it is. Uh, Or like, or their sponge wasn't set or something crazy like that. And they're like, build the dramatic and the tension into those moments. But still, at the end of the day, there's no million dollar prize on the line. They don't even get like a trophy for it. It's literally like throughout the show, they're like they like grieving as each person, as they make it and the next person gets kicked off. They're like, no, like, shouldn't you be wanting yourself to it? But like, they even know the stakes aren't really that low. So like, they're all good. Now that's the most low stakes show in human history, I'm pretty sure. And yet they still have to draw out tension and drama out of that. So then you think about how the reality is that that's what all media, all shows, all books are trying to build is this concept of tension. I mean, think about it. Uh, for those of you who are Marvel nerds like me, when you, when you left the theater after watching Endgame almost two, or two years ago, whenever that was, and Thanos was handled... All of a sudden, what were we talking about when we were leaving? We're like, who's going to be the next big bad guy? Like, who's going to be Galactus or Dr. Doom or any of the other like big bad villains in the Marvel comics? Like, because we want to see the tension. We weren't like after that going, man, I really hope the next one just like shows Spider-Man just hanging out with his friends, going to school, coming home, doing his homework. Like that would be quite boring, right? Like none of us would go, Wow, that's, I got to stay up until the midnight premiere for that one, right? Because we like drama. We like the tension. And you see, I think that this is in part because our lives are filled with tension. Our lives are filled with difficulties. See, we can easily believe that me, myself, I am the only one that has tensions and drama happening in my story right now that everyone else has a white picket fence existence. They are all, their Instagram feeds are exactly what their real life is just like. Only I have the issues. Um, But I was thinking about the way that uh, one pastor, John Piper, talks about difficulties or trials or sufferings. And he said that you are either in the middle of it, getting out of it, or going into it. Like that is about all of life can be summed up with whatever that it is. You're in it, you're coming out of it, or you're going into it. Like that is most of life is filled with tension. Like life is pretty tense. Now, we're always bouncing from one stressful situation to the next. So I think that's why we gravitate towards these stories of kind of like grand tension. Because we want, not because we just want to see tension that's worse than ours or more fantastic than ours, but we want to see tension get resolved. We want to see resolution. We want to see the, the villain vanquished, right? See, we don't want to see the villains, at least I, I had hope not many of us want to see the villains win forever, right, in the story. Like we don't want to see the villains win forever. We want them to be formidable uh, and uh, just difficult enough where you're like, no, is all hope lost just for the last second the heroes swoop in and the day is saved or the, the cake is saved or whatever on great ministry, Um But see, in the real world, villains do sometimes win. The chaos doesn't always go away. The diagnosis takes the life of the loved one. The relationship ends, betrayal happens. The world around us doesn't appear to gravitate towards resolution all the time. Just more and more and more tension, which is why I believe we desire so much to see resolution. Now, last week, Renaud was unpacking in our first, um, as we lit our first candle of Advent, hope, that Jesus doesn't just bring us hope. He is the embodiment of hope. And when the world around us is telling a story that all hope is lost or all hope is on you, we believe the truth that Jesus is our hope. So tonight we move with hope into the concept of joy. So when we light that candle of joy, what I was thinking about is that I don't have to explain to you that our world is not perfect, that it is far less than perfect, that it is often quite broken, that there is difficulty and tensions. But in a world with such chaos and tension, fear, can any talk of of joy ring as anything but hollow? I mean, I'm aware of some of your guys' stories here. And the reality is that where you guys are at right now, where, where, where I am at at different points in my story, is that when, when we talk about something like joy, it can come across as trite or like, yeah, good one. It's easy to say Jesus is, is joy when your life seems to be going perfectly well. But where I'm at, I don't know if it's true. So tonight we continue on in the Christmas story, in the story of Jesus's arrival. And what I would love for us to do is to realize, first and foremost, the context of this story is not a silent night filled with peace and everything was going perfectly. Like it wasn't the perfect backdrop for joy. It wasn't good. In fact, in the story of the people of Israel up to this point, the entire Old Testament recounts their story. that As a nation, they had been beaten up by the world around them for centuries. Invasion, they had been discarded. They'd been taken off into exile. They'd been enslaved. They'd been passed along from three different empires like a really bad inheritance that just kept going as every empire got vanquished. They went along with it. So their people only knew oppression, only knew being conquered for generations. And then to top it off, during all this time, God seemed to be nowhere to be found. 600 years of silence. There had been no prophets, no sign that he cared. Because you see, in the story of Israel, they had rebelled against God and his desires for his people. And after centuries of them wanting to do things their own way, he eventually lets them. He lets them. And now, they have been seeing the natural consequences of that desire played out. So, this was not a backdrop that you would immediately look at and go, Oh, this is joy. Like, this is a story where joy is so obvious. The tension is palpable, the, the difficulty is unceasing, the hope is gone. So, all of this more tension, more drama, more fear. There is little reason for hope, no cause for joy, but yet. But tonight what I want to do is I want to take us into some familiar Christmas passages if you've been around the church at all. But tonight as we read them though, what I want us to do tonight is not only hear the truth that is being expressed, although I would love for us to do that, but to listen underneath that and understand the gravity of the passion that is being spoken behind these words in the middle of a world with no cause for joy. So we're going to be in the book of Luke tonight. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter one, we're starting in verse 30, and we're going to kind of go from there and bounce around from that point. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. from her. See, Mary is not just saying what she quote unquote should say. She is a willing participant into this story now. She's saying, let it be done. If I have a part in the story, it sounds scary. It sounds terrifying. It doesn't make sense. She knows the repercussions in her culture for the way that this will be viewed. But yet, Lord, I want to be your willing servant. Use me. If you're Mary, you have every reason to be afraid. Yet we have, we, we have every reason for her to believe that she has just been sucked into the, this great cosmic drama. But yet she is a willing participant in the story. But not only is she willing, I wanna take us to the next part, uh, Luke 1, 46. And what we're gonna see is now Elizabeth, the, the, uh, the pregnant cousin that she uh, was told about by the angel, she has now gone to visit. And when she goes to visit Elizabeth, she begins to sing a song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Do you hear that? She is rejoicing in God. So she isn't just a reluctant participant. She isn't just like, this is what I should do because I I wanna be faithful to God. This has now become the passion of her soul that to participate in God's story and whatever small part she has in it, she's in. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring. Now, in that, there's such beautiful theological truth that's being unearthed in there, right? But do you see, do you feel, do you sense the passion that she is singing the song? She isn't writing a systematic theology textbook here. She is praising God. She is rejoicing genuinely. Why? I mean, again, everything about her circumstances is pretty rough. She is now a pregnant teenager outside of wedlock. That is not good in her culture. And yet her joy is overflowing because the Messiah is on his way. The long-awaited one, the one who is to come is here. Her circumstances might dictate fear, but the truth that the long-awaited Messiah is on his way is transforming this occasion to a moment of celebration, a moment of praise. Now soon, Elizabeth's husband is going to, Zachariah is going to receive a prophecy from the Spirit of God. And it's going to be revealed to him some realities about uh, about his newborn son as well as about the Messiah. Jesus. So verse 60, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Let's pause there. Once again, it could be so easy for us to read this and go, yeah, I believe that that's true. Yep, Mm-hmm. yep. Now put this into context if you're Zechariah. You're a priest, and for centuries of priests, you've been wondering what God was ever gonna do for his people. Was he ever gonna come through again? Was this ever going to this situation ever going to be redeemed? See, this isn't some ethereal concept of joy that he is looking for. It's not just like some spiritual um awakening moment, what they are looking for is literally the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that here he calls the horn of salvation who will come from the house of David. of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So this child that he's referring to is his own son, John, who is going to be, uh, who is going to be the, um, the, the trailblazer for Jesus. He's going to go before Jesus to proclaim as a herald that there is one who is coming, the Messiah, Jesus, his cousin. And so in this moment with this prophecy, what we aren't getting is just a bunch of theological stuff to believe. It is that, but it's more than just that. It is passionate truth to be accepted and desired into existence. It is a message of joy. Now, the story is not gonna take us a few months into the future. And Mary and Joseph, they arrived in Bethlehem to honor the census. Now, the concept of the census, you're probably aware of this, but this would be a living reminder of the fact that they do not have full agency over their lives. What the census was about was the emperor of Rome had the right to enact a census that everyone across the entire Roman empire need to return to their hometown to be able to do a full census count of everyone in the kingdom. Now, that's a really big and difficult deal in a world without trains or planes, right? Like that is a really difficult thing. Now imagine you're pregnant and you're traveling across the desert into those spaces, right? Like that was Mary's story. That's where she's at. And so even the concept that this is happening, all in light of a sense is taking place is a reminder that all is not well. That if you are waiting for joyful circumstances to be enacted, this is not the time. Then you have Mary and Joseph living under the scandal of this pregnancy. Joseph living with uh, with the cultural dishonorment that he is not the biological father. All the reasons in the world to be afraid, to live in the tension, to to say that I will be happy. I will discover joy when everything is working out in our favor. But you see, we don't get that. And we also don't get like um, some like noir version of this where it's all grungy and kind of raggedy where the story's like really like... Um, trying to look for a better word than what the words I'm using right now, but like a really like difficult scene. It's not like painted, like it's just so dramatic. Instead, what we get is a, a recounting of Jesus' birth. that's beautiful, simple, poetic. Luke chapter two, verses six and seven. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in a swaddling cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. If you've watched Charlie Brown's Christmas special, you've, you know this passage, right? And see, again, we can forget the beauty of this because of familiarity with it. The king of the cosmos was born in human form. He wasn't born in an ancient palace. He wasn't born in a state-of-the-art hospital. He was born in humility. And even, even then, humans didn't have room for him. Even now, we don't have room for him. And yet, this isn't a gloomy, con- condemning image. This is a story of arrival. I love the way that uh, C.S. Lewis writes it in his book on miracles. He wrote this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. That's really good. Uh, C.S. Lewis would also write it this way that the only miracle more impressive than the miracle of Easter is the miracle of Christmas. And why, why? It's not that we were saved on Christmas. It's not that by Jesus taking on human form that we are saved, but it is only because that he took on human form that he could now hang up on a cross bearing our sin, our weight on him. That he, that that flesh that he took on as a baby would one day be pierced for our transgressions. See, that miracle, the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of the arrival of Jesus onto the scene of humanity is earth shattering. It's the reason, right, why, uh, at least in the past, we used to use the phrases B, C, and A, D, because, and it was trying to kind of mark-ish around the time that Jesus was born because it was to say that this was such a significant moment in the course of humanity that it literally flipped the script of, of time. Now, that wasn't God who divinely orchestrated the timescale, but that was human trying to acknowledge how crazy this reality is. Everything up to this moment, all of human history was waiting for this moment when God would break through into our story. Everything since that moment has happened because of that moment. Everything. Because you see, before that moment, the world was dark. And in that moment, the light of the world for all mankind appeared. That's cause for joy. It doesn't change everything. It's not like Jesus was born all of a sudden, uh, all the Roman soldiers fell over dead. Caesar fell over dead. Like everything was like, all the bad guys were dead. And then everyone was like, yeah, we're free now. That's not what happened. A baby was born in obscurity. But yet in that moment, the light of the world showed up on the scene. And in its void, light. But you see, this wasn't like distant light. It's not like it was simply a lighthouse that was put off far in the distance that nobody could touch. That's boring. We're set apart. The light came to dwell with mankind. See, this is more exciting than, than I know it is. Than I would imagine that you, we any of us give it credit for. This is cause for true joy. Now, a few weeks ago, I asked the question when we were in our series in Philippians, when was the last time that you genuinely rejoiced in something? Not because uh, you should, but because you couldn't help it. To genuinely rejoice. See, this is the only true reaction to experiencing the unfiltered presence of Jesus. Joy, unfiltered joy. No preservatives, no GMOs, no additives, joy. Like that is Jesus. Joy. He is the light without filter. And not joy that all things are altogether different just now. But joy because joy is present because joy is Jesus. And wherever he is, light comes. And wherever light comes, there is hope. And it was this joy that outcast shepherds were called to come and worship. So I'll close with this passage. Luke 2, starting in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What kind of news were they bringing? It was good news of great joy. And so these, these shepherds, these outcasts, these individuals who should have no expectation of receiving any kind of good news, they all of a sudden are serenaded by an angelic choir. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem, see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. that? They're wondering. It's not like they're like wondering, like trying to figure out what two plus two equals. Like they are wondering like, what is happening? They're trying to just get their minds around the concept that the creator is now in human form. And all who it wondered and what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all that they had heard and seen as had been told to them. I don't know if, how many of you have ever held a newborn baby. Um, they don't do a lot. They poop. They pee, they burp, they throw up, um, they eat, uh, they sleep, they cry. I don't think I left anything out. But like, that's it. They're like, they're like a potato that throws up. You know, like, like they don't do a lot. Yeah, you know, like they're the most beautiful, like Abigail was the most beautiful potato I've ever held. Like for sure, for sure. Now, they don't do a lot. So these shepherds, they didn't go, wow, we got invited to go visit some random baby in a stable. Yay! Like, that's not the good news of this. The good news wasn't that they went and saw a baby, because I mean, to be quite honest, Jesus was probably sleeping or pooping or peeing or throwing up, right? And, right, like, like those were the bodily functions that Jesus had in that moment, right? But when they looked upon the face of this baby, they did not look just on the face of a baby. They looked on the face of God himself. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine what that's like? That's not a potato. That's God. (laughs) See, these guys were rejoicing because in the midst of a dark world, they saw in the face of this baby, the light of the world. And this could only lead to one thing, genuine joy welling up in their hearts. So as they shared with Mary and Joseph what these angels had revealed to them, they're all going, oh my gosh, can you believe that? Like we're called, what are, this, this baby's gonna do what? I don't even know what he's gonna do, but it's awesome. Like they can't even begin to put their mind around it. But they know it's good. They know it's good news of great joy. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, all rejoicing. And not because their circumstances got altogether easier, but because Jesus arrived. And whenever Jesus arrives in the story, you know what happens? The footprints of joy arrive with him because he is the light of the world and his joy emanates from him. Jesus is true joy. Now, I'll always keep it real with you guys and be honest. My life, my decade, the decade or so that I've been following after Jesus, Jesus has not made my life easier or less chaotic. Far from it. In some ways, he's actually made it more of those things so that I would be more reliant on him because I'm a knucklehead a lot of the times. See, I've experienced deep hurts from people I've respected. I have found myself in positions of faith where if God does not come through, then at the very least, I'm gonna look really, really stupid. But at the very, very most, this might turn out very poorly for me. And this isn't because I am filled with a ton of faith. I'm not. If it was about, oh, come all ye faithful, I wouldn't be one of the first ones in line. But God pursued me as, as being faithless and has given me faith. To stand. And it's difficult. It's difficult to have joy when things are difficult. And if that's you right now, I'm with you. I mean, I remember being being called to shepherd this campus three years ago, and I, and I felt completely over my head back then. And the reason that I felt completely over my head back then was because I was completely over my head back then. And by God's grace, I just day after day become a little less, hopefully, and over my head. But God continues to reveal to me the beauty that my joy cannot and will never be truly found in my circumstances, no matter how much I wish that were true. Your life will never be perfect enough. So if you're waiting for your life to be perfect to discover true joy, it's not gonna happen. If you had all the right relationships, you had the right amount of money, you had the right home, the right job, the right amount of health, the right whatever you could imagine, you would discover some other way that the tensions and dramatic areas of this broken fallen world plays into it. But Jesus... See, wherever Jesus steps into the story, we discover not just one who brings joy, but the one who defines joy. The question is, will we allow him space in our hearts and minds to set our hearts and our minds on genuine joy? Will we pray that we find Jesus more compelling than our circumstances? Will we allow our affections to be captured more by Jesus than by our next cool purchase or our next trip coming up? When we desire to believe in our hearts and our minds that Jesus is enough. If you're anything like me, um, I oftentimes don't feel like I have space and time in my day to sit and be with Jesus and doing stuff for him. I don't always feel like I have enough time to be with him. Oftentimes we don't even spend time pondering really anything of depth throughout our day. So here's, the gift that I wanted to, um, give all of us tonight. We're going to take five minutes. And in a moment, we're going to just turn on, um, some light ambient music and we're going to take five minutes in silence. And what I would like for you to do is talk to God about joy. Talk to God about joy. Where are you finding your joy right now? Talk to him about it. I don't know that answer, but he does. And I, Would you be so bold to ask him to begin to renew your heart and your mind to see Jesus is your true unfiltered joy? So let's go ahead and take five minutes and do exactly that. It's been getting dark out earlier and earlier, right? That's like winter. That's kind of what happens, right? Now, I'm sure I'm bursting no bubbles by saying this, but Jesus was not born on December 25th. At least we have no reason to specifically believe that. We're all aware of that, right? Um, so we don't know specifically what day he was born on. And honestly, that's not the most relevant piece. But the reason why we put it right around the time of the winter solstice in, uh, in, the, in the natural world calendar is because of the concept that when the light is at its darkest When the world is at its darkest, the light of the world appears. So therefore, it's the most appropriate time to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the light of the world. Because in the world of darkness, when when light and dark ebbs and flows in our world, there is a true and lasting light that cannot be dimmed. And he brings with him hope, joy, peace, love because he, those aren't just characteristics about him. Those are things that he is at his core. The light came into the world to reclaim this land, this world from the shadows, to usher in a kingdom where there is no darkness, just life, light, and freedom. So I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. And the question I just wanna end with tonight is, would we dare to believe? Would we dare to desire that regardless of our circumstances, in the middle of the difficult, whether things are going easy or the exact opposite, that we would root ourselves in the truth that Jesus is joy. Would we allow him to become our joy? Now, that is a a vast concept. And so I would encourage you to not just answer it quickly or go, yes, I believe that Jesus is the light of the world. He is joy. Because yes, he is. But would you spend time throughout your week talking to God about it, praying over it? God, would you continue to work in my heart to unearth the things that I try to find my joy and satisfaction in and help me to bring it back to be rooted in you? I love that uh, for joy, it's like a sign that kind of looks like crosshairs. The idea is it's being focused in. That when we focus our gaze on Jesus, we discover the one who is true and lasting joy. And that would be my hope for us. So I'd love to pray over over all of us tonight. Father, thank you that you are good and kind. You are faithful and forgiving. That when uh, we find ourselves in the midst of the difficulty, the darkness, when things are going well for us or when things are going pretty rough, Lord, you are the guiding light. You, You are the one who would send his own son so that we human beings would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. A life that begins in the here and now and perpetuates on into the eternity to come. So thank you, Lord, for pursuing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son for us and now providing us your spirit to point us back to Jesus when our minds and our hearts and our eyes fall away from him. So Lord, I pray for every one of us here tonight, that whether we are close to Jesus or far away, whether we would say that we have a relationship with Him or we don't, we we solve a lot of questions about Him. Wherever we're at tonight, Lord, I pray that You would meet us exactly where we're at and remind us of the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. So we, Lord, we thank You for good news of great joy. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.